Welcome to this broadcast of Truth for Today, sponsored by Sun City West Christian Church in Sun City West, Arizona. I'm your host, Kai Repsolt, and today we'll be doing part 30 of our study of the book of Acts, which primarily deals with the spreading of the gospel in the early church. Today we'll be covering uh, portions of Acts 21 and Acts 22. But before we begin our study, let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for your revelation to us, for the giving, for the writing, for the preservation, and for the translation so that we can read and understand it today. We thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit who brings the truth into brings us into the truth and shows us how to apply it to our everyday lives. We ask that our hearts would be soft towards the Holy Spirit, ready to be molded and shaped so that we could become like your Son in character. Amen. So the last time there was a, there was a, a riot in Jerusalem, Paul is being beaten, uh, he gets uh, gets rescued rescued by uh, the, the commander of the Roman cohort, uh, who is trying to maintain order. But in so doing, he he uh, takes Paul into custody, fulfilling part of the promise given to Paul by the Holy Spirit through the prophet Agabus in Caesarea not more than a week before. So uh, the commander has been trying to find out why there's all this excitement, but uh, the, there's so much confusion in the crowd, one person saying one thing, one person saying another, that he's decided he's going to take Paul into the barracks where he can uh, start an inquiry and hopefully get to the bottom of what's going on. So they're at the entrance. They've gone up some stairs and they're at the entrance to the barracks. And that's where we pick up the narrative, Acts 21, starting in verse 37. So as Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the commander, may I say something to you? And he said, do you know Greek? Well, then you are not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness. But Paul said, I am a Jew of Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no insignificant city, and I beg you, allow me to speak to the people. When he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the stairs, motioned to the people with his hand, and when, and, and when there was a great hush, he spoke to them in the Hebrew dialect, saying, Brethren and fathers, hear my defense, which I now offer to you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew dialect, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated under Gamaliel, strictly according to the law of our fathers, being zealous for God just as you all are today. 
I, per- I persecuted this way to the death, binding and putting both men and women in prisons, as also the high priest and all the council of elders can testify. From them I also received letters to the brethren and started off for Damascus in order to bring even those who were there to Jerusalem as prisoners to be punished. But it happened that as I was on my way approaching Damascus about noontime, a very bright light suddenly flashed from heaven all around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus, the Nazarene, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me saw the light, to be sure, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Get up, go on into Damascus, and there you will be told of all that has been appointed for you to do. But since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. A certain Ananias, a man who was devout by the standard of the law and well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing near said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very time I look up at him and he said, The God of our fathers has appointed you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear an utterance from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to all men of what you have seen and heard. Now why do you delay? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. It happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I fell into a trance and I saw him saying to me, Make haste, get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves understand that in one synagogue after another I used to imprison and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of your witness Stephen was being shed, I also was standing by approving and watching out for the coats of those who were slaying him. And he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. They listened to him up to this statement, and then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. So Paul speaks to the Roman commander here, after he's safe. Apparently he speaks to him in Greek. Uh, Paul probably could speak Greek, Latin, Hebrew, Aramaic. Um, And since he was addressing the Roman commander, he used Greek, which was sort of the common language that intelligent people used all across the Roman Empire. And 
when he does, he surprises the Roman commander because the Roman commander was under the misunderstanding that this guy was the same guy who was from Egypt who had stirred up a riot and uh, rebellion uh, earlier. And because he's talking to him in Greek, he discovers that, no, he is not the Egyptian. And Paul adds, identifying himself, uh, that he is he is a Jew born in Tarsus and uh, and a citizen of that city. And then he asks if he could speak to the crowd. And the commander allows. So Paul offers his defense to the crowd. And he starts out by giving his background and demonstrating that he has common ground with the people in the crowd. He was educated, grew up and educated in Jerusalem. So he's, he's like them. They live in Jerusalem. He grew up in Jerusalem. He studied under Gamaliel. Gamaliel is the foremost Pharisaic teacher in Jerusalem. He's probably dead by now, but he was and had been. And so having been studied under Gamaliel, okay, okay, you're a Pharisee, all right, that's something we have in common. Oh, and you revere the law? Okay, more in common. Okay. And he was zealous, and he explains how he used to arrest people who proclaimed Jesus as the Messiah. So he establishes with this crowd all the things that they have in common. This is a good first step when giving a testimony. In some way, if you have discerned in an earlier part of the conversation that there is something you have in common, or if you know because of the location that you have things in common, it's a good thing to get that out early in your testimony to establish this commonality between yourself and the people who are listening. Then Paul gives his testimony about his conversion experience. No, he's not entering into a doctrinal debate with these people on whether Gentiles can be included among believers. That is the issue that they have, but he's not entering into a debate. He's just giving the testimony of what God has done with him. You don't debate that. That's just, it can't be debated. It's the experience that I had. I'm telling you what happened. And so he gives a detailed account of his conversion on the road to going to Damascus of everything that happened to him. And then he continues his testimony about after he left Damascus, returned to Jerusalem after becoming a Christian, that he was in the temple praying. Please, here again he is communicating. Uh, just because I had converted to and become a follower of the Messiah does not mean I gave up being a Jew. I was in the temple praying. And while I was in the temple praying, I had a vision and the Messiah talked to me. 
So he's connecting the Messiah and himself and the temple all together. And he explains that during that vision, uh, Jesus tells him to go on to speak to, to on a mission to preach to the Gentiles. And the crowd reacts violently to that statement. So, continuing from there, um, verse 23, And as they were crying out and throwing off their cloaks and tossing dust into the air, the commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks, stating that he should be examined by scourging so that he might find out the reason why they were shouting against him that way. When they had stretched him out with thongs, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the commander and told him, saying, What are you about to do, for this man is a Roman? The commander came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman? And he said, Yes. The commander answered, I acquired the citizenship with a large sum of money. And Paul said, But I was actually born a citizen. Therefore those who were about to examine him immediately let him go. And the commander also was afraid when he found out that he was a Roman and because he had put him in chains. On the next day, wishing to know for certain why they had been accused he had been accused by the Jews. He released him and ordered the chief priests and all the council to assemble and brought Paul down and set them before them. So the crowd reacts violently. The commander, for, for two reasons, to protect his prisoner and also to be able to find out the truth, brings him into the barracks and orders that he be examined by scourging. Okay, little background here. There are several classes of people in the Roman Empire. There are, that have various legal rights. One are slaves. Uh, they're the lowest group. They have the fewest rights. They have some, but not very many. That's one, one group. The next is that in, in the Roman system, uh, Slaves actually frequently earned money and they could save up and then they could buy their freedom. And then, then they were called freedmen and uh, who had once been slaves but were now free. Uh, but, and so they got a few more rights than slaves. But still, uh, not as many rights as a citizen. For example, freedmen could not vote, just like slaves could not vote. Okay. Then the last, the last group are citizens of Rome. Citizens of Rome have lots of rights. To start off with, they can't be arrested without cause. 
They cannot be held in custody without an, an actual charge that has been formally presented to a court and they're guaranteed a trial. They cannot be punished without a trial. And they certainly cannot be tortured for information, which is what the commander was planning to do in this case. And the commander was doing this because if Paul was a freedman or a provincial, not a citizen, um, provincials uh, may have had more rights than freedmen because they hadn't been slaves, but they were still not Roman citizens. And so they could be arrested. They could be, they could be tortured without, without charges because they were not citizens of Rome. So that's the background on what's about to happen, interacting between the Roman commander and Paul here. And the Roman commander is serious, and it was a standard practice to make sure that the guy is, whoever it is you're questioning is telling you the truth, you would flick pain on him uh, to keep him from lying to you. Frequently, it was also used to uh, make them say what you wanted them to say, whether it was true or not. Because eventually, at the end of, of torture, uh, the person being tortured will tell you anything that you want to hear in order to stop the pain. But before, just before, I mean, they, they've done the prep work. I mean, they put, they've put Paul into the, into the uh, um, thongs that are to hold him firmly in place while they're going to scourge him. Um, and then Paul plays, uses the Roman citizen card. He hasn't told them before that he's a Roman citizen. And because of the advantages, he now uses it. Uh, and the centurion, who is a junior officer in the legions, who may, may not have been a Roman citizen, uh, is alarmed. Because uh, if you treat a, a Roman citizen against the law, you could find yourself on the, on the wrong end of the law. And so he goes and tells the commander, and the commander comes down to talk to Paul. Now the commander understands that there are really two grades of Roman citizens. Because you, you could become a Roman citizen by paying a large sum of money to somebody who has the authority to inscribe you into the citizen roles. And that's one way to be a Roman citizen. And then the other is to be born a Roman citizen from parents who were Roman citizens. Now, the Roman commander had purchased his citizenship. Paul, however, had been born a Roman citizen. So now the Roman commander and the soldiers are concerned about their treatment of a citizen up to this point. Because Paul, as a Roman citizen, is within his rights to have them brought up on charges and punished for their treatment of a Roman citizen. Paul, however, does not do that. Paul extends grace to these people. And the Roman commander starts an inquiry. And he releases Paul and he commands the Jewish council, which is about, it's called the Sanhedrin, it's about 70 people, to assemble 
and he brings Paul to stand in front of them uh, to have them conduct the their part of the inquiry to find out what it is that's causing all this trouble. And so now we're going to hear about this inquiry, starting in chapter 23. Paul, looking intently at the council, said, Brethren, I have lived my life with a perfectly good conscience before God up to this day. The high priest Ananias commanded those standing beside him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to them, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Do you sit to try me according to the law and in violation of the law order me to be struck? But the bystanders said, Do not revile God's high priest. And Paul said, I was not aware, brethren, that he was high priest. For it is written, You shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. But perceiving that one group were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, Paul began crying out in the council, Brethren, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. I am on trial for the hope and resurrection of the dead. As he said this, there occurred a dissension between the Pharisees and Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, nor an angel, nor a spirit. But the Pharisees acknowledged them all, and there occurred a great uproar. And some of the scribes of the Pharisaic party stood up and began to argue heatedly, saying, We find nothing wrong with this man. Suppose a spirit or an angel has spoken to him. And as a great dissension was developing, the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them and ordered the troops to go down and take him away from them by force and bring him into the barracks. But on the night immediately following, the Lord stood at his side and said, Take courage, for as you have solemnly witnessed to my cause at Jerusalem, so you must witness at Rome also. So Paul's training as a Jewish lawyer is on display here. Uh, he makes an opening statement, and the high priest orders him to be struck, which is a violation of the law. And he challenges the council proceedings, where they have deviated from the law. And he, he speaks derogatorily towards the high priest, not recognizing that he's the high priest. When he's advised that he had been derogatory to a high priest. He demonstrates his knowledge of the scriptures, saying, I didn't realize he was high priest. And then he says it was written, you're not supposed to speak evilly of the leaders of your people. So he's demonstrating that he has a knowledge of the scriptures. Now, it's quite possible that he would not know who was the high priest because... Uh, in this period of time, the Jews did not follow the Mosaic law associated with the high priesthood. In the Mosaic law, the high priesthood passed from father to son. One high priest, until that high priest dies, then his son becomes high priest. The direct descendants. Aaron to his sons and to their sons after them. Uh, but 
when the Maccabean revolt occurred and the, the, the Macedonian Greeks were thrown out of Judea, uh, the two brothers, Maccabee, who were not of the priestly line of Aaron, uh, one of them became king, and the mother of the two didn't want the two fighting against each other, so she arranged for the other son to be made the high priest, even though he wasn't a descendant of Aaron. So from that time forward, uh, the, high, the high priestly office was half political, whereas before it had only meant a spiritual role. And so in the time of Jesus, there were two men who took turns being the high priest. Ananias was one of them. That's the one that's mentioned here. And uh, Caiaphas was the other one who was high priest when Jesus was executed. And so it was entirely possible that Paul didn't know who was high priest today. And Paul, looking around the council, recognizes the two parties, the Sadducees and Pharisees, are both uh, heavily represented in the council and about equal in strength. And he's, he uses the divide and conquer strategy. He, Since he was brought up as a Pharisee and trained under Gamaliel as a Pharisee, and he believes in the resurrection as the Pharisees do. He cries out and brings that to their attention and deflects them from the answers that the commander of the Roman contingent is looking for. And now a great debate arises on whether or not over the resurrection. And Paul says, you know, I'm on trial today because I believe in the resurrection. So all the Pharisees immediately, because they believe in the resurrection, uh, take his side. And the Sadducees, they're arguing against the resurrection and against the Pharisees. And, and, and they kind of forget about Paul. And they start arguing with each other and they get all excited. And it's all done in Hebrew. So the Roman commander doesn't know what's being said. And he's concerned for Paul's safety, so he takes him back to the barracks to keep him safe. And while he's in the barracks, that night, Paul gets a personal visit from Jesus. That's a considerable honor. This is not just a vision. The way it's written says Jesus was standing there in Paul's room. And Jesus reveals that even though Paul's plan isn't, isn't, isn't working out the way Paul intended, Jesus' plan is, and he intends for Paul to go to Rome just as Paul desired. And he says, take courage, you will witness in Rome. And that's the end of today's lesson. Take courage. I have your mission on track.
we should take heart for ourselves that whatever the mission God has given us, as long as we're eager to execute the mission he's got for us, he is going to work through special providence and miracles, if necessary, to make sure that that mission is complete. God bless you all.